Welcome to episode three of Elise's Point podcast. I'm your host, Elise Squirrel, PhD candidate, Canadian mental performance consultant, and sport karate athlete. Each week, I present a monologue of different topics that focus on point sparring aspects of sport karate. I want to stress that although each episode stands alone, this podcast should really be listened to as a whole. This project is meant to be informative, thought-provoking, and cause reflection. Keep in mind that some of the content is based on my observations and experiences from years of training and competing as a competitive athlete in sport karate. This means that it doesn't necessarily pertain or is applicable to every stakeholder within the sport. The overall goal is to promote a safe, healthy, and rational sport structure for future sport karate athletes. So let's start. Episode three. We are a whole different kind of dance. Oops. I mean, fighting. What are rules? I want to get philosophical about sport for a moment because it needs to be understood how rules, which are invisible, create things. Rules make things what they are, and arguably, more importantly, rules make things what they are not. So what are rules? Knowledge and action are limited and bounded in space and time. Humans have created and surrounded themselves with formal and informal rules that assist in carrying out activities. Rules assist in distinguishing, separating, judging, and classifying one action from another. Rules demonstrate what is acceptable as well as what is not. As a result, rules permit but rules also stop human action. A stoplight is a pretty obvious example of this. Red means stop, green means go. This meaning was created by humans and controls behavior. In sport, the rules are the structure of the game and are used to keep the playing field fair. In soccer, it is fairly obvious that you do not pick up the ball unless you are the goalkeeper. If you do happen to graze the ball with your hand, the whistle is blown and the other team is awarded the possession of the ball. Rules allow consistency with how the game is and will be played and taught. But rules also emphasize what has already been deemed as unacceptable behavior. It is pretty clear that you do not pick up the ball in soccer unless you are the goalkeeper. However, knowing that only the goalkeepers are allowed to pick up the ball is the basic idea of the game. The goalkeeper still cannot pick up the ball and run it to the other team's net. There are rules in place to stop this behavior. Rules within the rules. It is arguable that informal rules unwritten but acknowledged, 
are the basis to which formal rules are formed. If an individual does not know if an action is a rule, by completing the action, they will quickly discover what the stance on the action is. For instance, what is the rules about saying goodbye? If I say goodbye to someone, do we have to part ways? What happens if we're headed in the same direction? If I say goodbye to someone and purposely walk in the same direction as them, how does that make the other person feel? There's no written rule that says I can't do this. But there's definitely an informality that is associated with goodbyes. There are some sports, if not all sports, that strategically use the informal rules, which are unwritten rules, as part of the game. Baseball is a sport where it is acknowledged by the participants that players attempt to see how far they can push the rules without being caught. It was a common unsaid practice that in order to break up a double play, the runner targeting second base would aggressively slide into the fielder throwing from second to first. The intention was to aim for the player and not the base. In 2016, Rule 6.01J was established that, quote, slides on potential double plays will require runners to make a bona fide attempt to reach and remain on base. This rule was established with the objective to enhance player safety while maintaining the tradition of the game. What's really interesting is that the rule also outlines what qualifies as a bona fide slide, as bona fide can still be left to interpretation. With strict rules outlined, it can be established what a bona fide slide is, and more importantly, what it is not. Consent. Consent marks the line between participant and non-participants in sport. When participating in sport, a person is consenting to the rules that the sport outlines. If one agrees to a boxing match, there should be no surprises about how much contact there will be, obviously, depending on the level and the individual's experience. This is aggression that is consented to in the realm of sport, which is much different than the realm of real life. A person cannot run up to another person on the street and commit a similar aggression that a person would commit in a boxing match or a different sport. There is no consent there. That is assault. Not to mention, there are still moral implications within the consent of sport, knowing whether actions pertain to the nature of the game, which means that athletes cannot get away with murder within the sporting arena, even if it's accidental. There is consent to the amount of recognized aggression. In boxing, there are areas that competitors are allowed to punch, but no kicking is allowed or ear biting, if that is unclear. So, in the discussion of what a fair fight is, it could be argued that within a fair fight, the rules have been laid out ahead of time and both parties are aware and understand exactly the implications of the match and have agreed to the rules outlined. Let's look at the case of MMA. 
The organization, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, was created in 1993. UFC 1 was a one-night tournament based on an eight-bracket format to determine which style of fighting was the best. The organization was promoted and marketed as a no-holds-barred, no-rules, anything-goes competition. Surprise! It was not a sanctioned sport. The public reaction from the media attention to MMA was twofold. It was either viewed as 1. A savage competition. The term human cockfighting from the late Senator John McCain would leave a deep impression on the public. Or 2. People were convinced that the unsanctioned MMA was a fair and orderly competition because the athletes knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. But arguably, maybe they didn't. Through the progression of a decade, the act of legitimizing MMA by creating rules and regulations slowly started the process of lifting the ban on the sport throughout the states. In July 1999, UFC held its first sanctioned event under the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board's Unified Rules of Mixed Martial Arts. This was after years of adjusting its rules and regulations to include weight classes and five-minute rounds, while banning strikes to the back of the neck and head in small joint manipulations. This was a huge step from the initial no rules, no weight classes, and no eye-gouging, biting, and groin strikes image. The creation of rules makes something what it is and provides an explanation of why things are done. More importantly, however, sport and the rules within sport is what separates combat from riot or anarchy. In sport karate, we can see how rules can restrain human behavior through, from what I can see, Two of the mistakenly similar types of fighting that karate offers. Kumite fighting and point sparring. I could dedicate a separate episode to discuss the different components and elements of each style, but instead I will review the general elements of each without getting complicated. Let's get beyond surface level analysis like equipment and uniform. Please don't hate that I'm not including continuous fighting. It is still a type of fighting taught in karate. However, the average person can understand the difference between continuous fighting and this idea of the game of tag. Another analogy that I hate, by the way. I would also like to emphasize that I am a point fighter. And as much as I want to stay objective, my favoritism towards point sparring might be present. I'm also definitely not an expert at kumite, but the references to the rules that I'm looking at are in the description of this episode. Kumite. I want to focus on the main themes that structure kumite. The objective of the sport is to showcase the techniques learned in karate into a match where athletes are awarded points. The matches are held on a flat 8x8 meter mat 
with a one or two meter safety boundary surrounding the fighting space. There are seven scoring areas, head and chest, but also face, neck, abdomen, back, and side. A score is only awarded if the technique that is thrown to one of those areas embody six characteristics. Good form, sporting attitude, vigorous application, awareness, or zanshin, good timing, and is thrown at the correct distance. Which means that the technique has to follow the framework of traditional karate concepts, stance included. There has to be no malicious attitude while throwing the technique. The technique has to be thrown seriously, at 100% or nothing, and at the right time, at the right distance. For example, you shouldn't throw a technique when an opponent is moving quickly backwards. It must also embody zanshin, which is the awareness of the potential attack or counterattack, which I interpret as an intense focus while visualizing a future scenario. For instance, if there is no block attempted to counter a head kick, a point may be awarded if the kick is close enough. Which brings us to one of the most unique characteristics of kumite. There is very limited contact. A puncher kick may be awarded if it comes between skin touch in five centimeters from the face, head, or neck, and any technique that may result in bodily injury may be penalized. The sport also stresses purposeful engagement with opponents without injury or self-harm, meaning athletes are always engaged at the correct distance and also meaning it is unacceptable for athletes to lean into opponents' techniques, a rule written probably because athletes were doing this. But the correct distance in the rule stressed the offense aspect of the sport. The athletes always have to demonstrate they are engaged in the fight and counters must be attempted or the attacker will be awarded a point. These are very specific regulations. But control and accuracy are huge components of the sport. The rules also focus on technique and form, which define the quality of the movement. It's not necessarily what is thrown. It's precisely how it's thrown. And this is a huge difference. But if you are new to the sport, and you do take the time to study the rules, Kumite makes it pretty clear what is and what is not acceptable, and this defines what the sport is. Point sparring. The objective of point sparring is to score defined points using well-controlled and legal techniques with speed, agility, balance, and focus. The matches are held on a 7 by 7 meter mat with a 1 meter safety boundary surrounding the fighting area. This sounds very similar to kumite, but the specifics of the rules distinguish the sport further. There are three main target areas. Head, which include the front, the side, the back, and the forehead. The torso, 
which include only the front and the side, and below the ankle, which is only meant for sweeping. This restricts the competitor from hitting the back and the neck, different scoring areas, but it is also because of the different contact rules. In point sparring, well-controlled contact must be made for the point to count. But what does well-controlled contact, or strictly controlled contact, mean? It consists of looking at the point of contact when executing the technique and using reasonable power, which means that a technique that simply touches, brushes, or pushes an opponent will not be scored. So reasonable is really up to the discretion of the user, and sometimes the judges. The ring space is also a huge influence on the way that the athletes engage in the match because there is less emphasis on maintaining the correct distance. The ring space dictates the offensive and defensive strategies within the match. This is the reason why point fighters don't fight in cages. The field becomes part of the strategy. Well, that, and that point sparring, is still a demonstration of fighting without malicious intent, or we get disqualified. We're not going back to the time of the gladiator, where it is based on the philosophy of last man standing. Point sparring is about skill and strategy, and sport. There may be disagreements between kumite fighting and point sparring, and likely because the techniques originate from similar contexts, and that the sports have similar objectives. But to me, they are much different and can both offer fulfillment in the rules that enable the actions. One's not better than the other. It's like different types of dancing. Stay with me, combat sporters. An example is the slow waltz and the Viennese waltz. Many outsiders to the sport cannot distinguish the difference, maybe because both have waltz in the name. However, the rules for each waltz have distinguished what kind of movements, music, pace, and so on that have to be satisfied in order for the dance to qualify as a slow or Viennese waltz. And it is probably difficult to adjust to the other dance's rules. If you Google each one without judging based on the name, you will see the obvious differences between the two. They look completely different. As for point sparring and kumite, both can be appreciated for what they offer. And if you don't think so, you should try and fight within the rules of the opposite sport. The change in the rules that allow and limit different movements do not make the other sport worthless. It makes the sport what it is. I would like to end the podcast with a question. What is an experience you have had at adjusting to a new set of rules? It can be inside of a sport context or outside of a sport context. Thank you for taking the time and listening to Elise's Point. Check in every Monday so you don't miss any episodes. Does this topic resonate with you? 
Have any thoughts? Anything that came up while you were listening? I would love to hear about them. Please leave a comment on Ulysses Point Facebook page. I will talk to you next week. The references to this information are included in the description of this episode. Music by Atch. And a big shout out to Oliver for letting me use his recording space.